Welcome back to Don't Punt to Geo, your UNC football show on the Tar Heel Wild Podcast. You're here, you found us, don't lose us. Subscribe wherever you're listening, say some nice words about us in a review. It helps all other Tar Heel fi- fans find our podcast. Unfortunately, Tar Heel fans may not want to find the podcast at the moment. We're here to talk Appalachian State 34, Carolina 31. And when I say we, I do mean our good friend Jacob Cowden back again. How are you, sir? Good. Happy to be back. Um, wish it was different circumstances, but happy to be here. Yeah, you can't win them all. Um, also with us, for the first time in a while, the bourbon legend, Joe Carpenter. Joe, how are you, sir? Doing great. Sipping on uh, Breckenridge tonight, a little bourbon whiskey out of Colorado. A friend brought it over this weekend. Excellent. Excellent little uh, sipper for a Monday evening. That is a wonderful way to start a week, I must say. Um Jacob, anything for you? Um, I just got done with the gym, so I got a protein shake. So nice. Uh, not as relaxing. <laughs> but no, well, uh, since uh since Joe's gonna be a little bit more relaxed, we'll give you a minute. Uh Joe, just kind of thirty thousand foot view, what did you kind of take away from the uh close loss to Appalachian State on Saturday? I'm a little concerned, honestly. I mean, I think a lot of people would have believed that 2-2 two two was pretty possible out of the gate, but having dropped these last two, and it looks like we're trending in the wrong direction for the heels, I tell you. Slow starts, uh, early deficits, and, and just not an ability to catch up in the second half these last couple of weeks was very disappointing. This was one that you felt like, especially at home, that the home crowd could really carry the day as the team got late, and it just was obviously not quite enough in that second half. Yeah, you definitely, and and I know I mentioned this with uh, Jake on the preview earlier this week, but at some point they really need to break the habit of uh, starting down the way they do. Uh, Jacob, kind of what, what was your overall thesis statement here before we really get into it? Well, for the game, I think missed blocking assignments, missed reads by Sam Howell, and then missed tackles slash, I guess, missed defensive assignments. Or, I think it's as simple as that. But big picture-wise, I, I think I was one of the more pessimistic ones out of us, us writers at the Tar Heel blog. I thought, Chad, I think you're with me, but 1-3 or 0-4 were, were very realistic. So even though the last two losses – weren't great big picture wise trying to get to bowl eligibility two and two going into the Clemson game I think is as good as I would have taken that August 29th before the South Carolina game is even though there are some some things that need cleaning up uh big picture wise I think Carolina is okay for the most part if they can clean those up yeah and say what you will about losing games in state but if you had to give me two games to win thus far um I'm taking the two that the heels have um you know just when you go into recruiting UNC's not really competing with Wake or App for recruits, so they are very much competing with South Carolina for a lot of guys and occasionally do get in battles with Miami. So you've got that going for us. Um, Joe, kind of what was the biggest uh, thing you saw just when uh, App State had the ball? Because I, I know Jacob touched on a little bit just not being able to get off the field on third down. Yeah, third down's obviously a concern. I will say that uh, another concern I have is the turnover margin, and really a lot of that comes on the defensive side. You know, part of the way that you can overcome having a slow offensive start is to get a short field. And if you think about it, they the Heels really did not have short fields for the better part of the evening. I mean, 
clearly in 17 seconds in, they had a short field or 10 seconds in mm-hmm. and they were able to convert to a touchdown. But that's, that's been a rarity. And, and that's something, especially late in the, in the games, you know, they were able to get those turnovers uh, late in the first couple of contests. And then, you know, these last two weeks, you're talking about having to drive the ball 80, 90 yards in order to get scores late in the game. And that's just not a recipe for success long-term. Yeah, to their credit, they've been able to do it. But, Jacob, do you kind of see the issue with uh, sustaining drives? Because I think you see that in fits and starts. But in the second half, man, when they, uh, you know, when their back's against the wall, they really do manage to move the ball. Yeah, yeah. So it's just we need to figure out a way to have them do that when their backs aren't against the wall. I think, yeah, the, especially the running game, I think it is inconsistent. The pass blocking is inconsistent. Like on, for example, the Sam Howell fumble where he's got hit from behind, um, App State just dropped the defensive tackle into coverage, blitzed the safety, it overloaded, and it just confused the offensive line. And Sam Howell thought everybody was accounted for, and it ends up with a fumble, a scoop and score for a touchdown. Um, so that's just one of those things. I think it's more mental than anything else. I think I'm, it's possibly that I'm oversimplifying that. But just the few big plays in the App State game, you can look and it's just one or two missed assignments. That if they clean up, it could be a big play for Carolina that either scores or keeps the drive alive. Yeah, I saw a couple of uh, missed pulls where uh, they allowed the backside pursuit to get in a couple of times. But I think you're right about the mental side, maybe with uh, Howell, where there's, he, he still doesn't quite have the clock to either escape the pocket quick enough or to get the ball just out of bounds to the sidelines. Um, there, there was still five or six plays where he just held on to the ball a tick too long and got himself in trouble. Um, I mean, I guess while I'm with you on that, Jacob, uh, how how do you feel about kind of the uh, quarterback draw game that UNC is going to more than I really expected him to do? Um, on one hand, you know, Howell is keeping defenses where they have to account for him. On the other, at this point, he's your only healthy quarterback. So w- where do you stand on that? Yeah, and I think we've mentioned this before, but one of the things I Howell's a thousand yard, I think it was twelve hundred yards in high school. Uh, and I noted in February when he signed with us that he was a huge, a big rusher in, in high school. But a lot of that was just he's the most athletic player on the field, and because you know top hundred player in the nation, and he just dominated. Like he and I thought that would drop off once he got to college, and he's shown a willingness to run and and he started sliding in the App State game, which was good. Um, I'd like to be less frequent part of the offense. I, I thought it was uh, good having Ruder come in and having that running quarterback element. If he's going to be hurt longer term, I would like to see, like, especially design runs taken out just because I don't think they add enough value where the risk is, especially if Howell's the only starting quarterback, healthy quarterback. Yeah, and Joe, where do you sit on that? Do you, uh, do you like having the Howell element in the running game, or would you uh, rather see a few more of those carries go to one of the Williamses or Michael Carter? Yeah, I would really prefer to see the mobility of the quarterback utilize to move the pocket, particularly when you're having issues with health on the offensive line and, and problem right. protecting. You know, one thing you can do is get to the sideline. He can clearly do that just to buy a little extra time and hit the reads. He's got the arm to be able to throw on the move. Uh, and so I, I really think that getting him more lateral and less vertical is the way to go. I, I share the concern that, you know, the games that they're, that they've won in the first two games, that the reason why the other games were close was because 
he has had the ball and been able to throw it in the fourth quarter. And if you keep running these five-yard draws up the middle, he's just going to get blasted. He's not going to be able to finish the game. And then I feel like the Heels are just going to have a very limited chances to pull out a victory. There you go. Um, I, I will say, just uh, to their credit, I mean, App kind of took the Wake Forest game plan where they were going to play a little bit softer in the zone. Um, Longo, I thought, recognized it. The Heels, besides their three turnovers, sustained drives pretty consistently uh, throughout the game. Um, but the intermediate passing game was there more so than it had been this season. I thought a big part of that was Carl Tucker finally getting going. Uh, Joe, I'll stick with you. How big of a weapon is Carl Tucker going to need to be? I mean, not maybe to pull the upset against Clemson, but maybe to uh, cover the spread against Clemson. Yeah, I I think that uh, honestly, if they're going to play against Clemson, what they're going to have to do is is keep keep Clemson offense off the field. They're going to have to find ways to move the ball, and I think it's got to be with the rushing game. I think that that they've got to find ways to to get the ball downfield in chunks of five and six yards so that they're setting the howl up for third and short. I just don't see him being able to complete the the longer passes downfield um, to to Tucker. I just don't – I mean, again, three catches, 34 yards against App State. It was, it was a, good, a good game, but that's just not going to be the kind of plays that are going to be there against the, the Clemson defense. And, Jacob, same question to you. You know, I, I do think to a certain extent they have to find somebody besides the uh, outside weapons that can start making plays in the pass game. Uh, you have Michael Carter with one catch for 11 yards, and uh, both Javante Williams and Antonio Williams got involved on swing passes as well. Yeah, and with Clemson, the thing you got to look at is their linebacker, Isaiah Simmons, he's arguably the best linebacker in the country. I think he's certainly the best coverage linebacker in the country. So being able to take him out of the play, like if Carl Tucker or he's good, because he's going to be lined up on either Carl Tucker or one of the running backs coming out of the backfield. So if they can win some of those matchups, that takes so much pressure off the outside receivers where Clemson's going to have to do some different things defensively because what they do well, as in Clemson, they can get and create pressure without bringing Isaiah Simmons, without bringing extra linebackers. So those guys up the middle of the field are going to have to be huge. And even if they're not going to be putting up huge stats, just, you know, move the chains, win some of those matchups against uh, Simmons in particular, but that Clemson linebacking court. Yeah, I think if, and not to turn this into a Clemson preview, but they're going to look a lot like Wake and App looked. Um, kind of surprisingly to me, they have been going with three down linemen a lot and then bringing pressure from, different places. So very similar to what Jay Bateman does as well, but um, Clemson's talent is a little bit better than apps or weights. So UNC is going to have to find some continuity on the offensive line. Um, is there any word on, uh, and how, how big, I guess this is another question I'll ask you, Jacob, but with the offensive line issues, uh, how, how big was the loss of Charlie Heck on Saturday? Cause I thought Zudu, I know he uh, got confused on the one pressure from, from uh, Taylor that uh, turned into the strip sack for the touchdown. But overall, you know, I think he's looked pretty competent the past two games. Yeah, and, you know, as far as isolated matchups, I don't think it's as big a drop-off as talented as Charlie Heck is, where the issue, though, is the communication. When, like, Clemson 
again, we'll just talk generally, so it's not a Clemson preview, but like if defenses <laughs> can confuse, disguise, bring pressure from different places, that's where the continuity on the offensive line is so important. And Charlie Heck, who's been there so while, that communication of, of being able to communicate who's coming, like who's picking up who, so on and so forth, so you don't have that strip sack situation. Because that, that wasn't a talent issue. That was a – like App did a great job of confusing the pressure, which confused Sam Howell, confused the offensive line. So that's where I think you'll miss Heck more. I think the talent drop-off isn't as great, even as good a Heck play, good of a player Heck is. But just that continuity, I think more than any other position group, the offense is the most important, having that continuity. So that's where I think – and Brett Venables is arguably the best defensive coordinator in the country, so he's going to take advantage of that as, as well as anybody. I would agree. Uh, Joe, what else did you have from the game that you felt we needed to cook on here? You don't well, like I think it's forever on us, but <laughs> – I think it also goes to the issues on the offensive line that the solution you saw in the second half of App State was to either pinch the tight ends to help out or, or keep the backs back. And the problem there is that, you know, how it really operates on having a lot of options down the field. And when you have to take away any of those options in order to help with the pass protection, then you're you're really handicapping the, the offense there. And, and he's been able to get away with it against, Honestly, lesser secondaries with Wake and F State. Not, I mean, both very good, but certainly not the quality of Clemson. And so, to to have to have limited options down the field is is going to be, I think, very difficult for the freshman. Yeah, and and keeping that extra protection in, um, I mean, you've got to do it because UNC had given up 13 sacks through the first three weeks. Uh, we added, let's see, one, two, three more uh, against the Sun Belt team. So. I mean, if he if he's getting sacked four times a game against pretty good, but you know, not Clemson level competition, uh, you do worry about that a little bit. Jacob, what else do you have from your notes? And then I'll I'll close with mine, and then maybe we'll move on to week four here. Well, yeah, my my two in depth notes were the the lack of depth in the secondary is really bumming me out, and sticking with the bum thing, Chasserat seems to always end up on his on his rear end, <laughs> especially on those goal line runs. The the read. Um, option that App State scored on inside the goal line. It looked just like those Jamie Newman touchdowns from Wake. So uh, I thought Fox played really well as, as linebacker as well as Dominique Ross. But I think overall they also had some missed assignments, which led to big runs from Thomas in the running game in App State. So I think the linebacking core playing more physical, filling their gaps, and just playing cleaner is going to be crucial for the Clemson game, because that was where a lot of App State's either touchdowns or big runs came from were just misassignments with the linebackers. Yeah, I, I was I was going to shout out uh, Dominique Ross. I thought he, you know, very similar to how Surratt looked in the South Carolina game, was not very confused by what State was or what uh, App State was doing. I think a little bit of that might be familiarity with uh, playing against Drinkwitz's team for three years uh, when he was at NC State. Um, big old shout out to Aaron Crawford. I've never seen a defensive tackle get six solo tackles the way he did, where he shed blocks and, you know, was the only guy bringing guys down. Um, I'm interested really, uh, going forward just to see how this linebacking core, um, starts to gel because Surratt was not on the field nearly as much as he had been. Uh, Jeremiah Gimmel went out in the second quarter with the targeting penalty. And Tyrone Hopper and Dominique Ross on the inside both looked pretty good. Um, 
Do we have anything to cook from on any of that? No, yeah, I agree. Like Ross and Fox, I thought were the the best in the players in that front seven besides Crawford, obviously. I guess in the linebacker court. Um, yeah, I think going forward, like I would look if I were betting, I would say Surratt comes in more special situations than than he has been in the first four games. Um, and I was thinking about this while I was rewatching the game today. Like, it's kind of a lot to expect a quarterback to play linebacker after an off season and, and play perfectly. So I think myself and a lot of us are being a bit hard on them, but at the same time, the season's right now. We don't have a lot of time to adjust. So I would expect to see Surratt more in special situations than he's been playing these first four games. I can feel it. Uh, Mr. Carpenter, any closing thoughts here? Um, I've, I've got one more and then we will uh, kick into a break. Well, let me just ask because I, I'm not nearly as familiar with the depth chart as you guys are. Is there some chance that Surratt becomes an emergency quarterback if something happens to Hal? I mean, could we actually have somebody that plays both linebacker and quarterback against Clemson? Well, I think that is a situation where I think Surratt is the emergency quarterback, unless I'm mistaken, Chad. I hope not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to live in that world. What, but look, what that is, is just a reflection. It's the same thing that we see on the offensive line. It's the same thing that we see in the defensive secondary. It's a reflection of uh, recruiting that has not been up to par over the last few years. And clearly that's something that's turning around on a go forward. But you've got to make it through the first year or two when you're just not going to have the depth at those positions and you're not able, even with minor injuries that are only a game or two, it's just very, very difficult to overcome which is part of the reason why the team had success early in the season because clearly you come in, you know, reasonably healthy. And then as those injuries start to take a toll, then you don't play up to the level of potential that you have. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is a team that could, you know, despite the record being 2-2, two and two, they could be 0-4 or 4-0 and at this point in the season. Um, but what is encouraging to me is, you know, where if this game were being played – you know, if you just put everything in a vacuum and take it to 2018, I'm not so sure that this UNC team looks as coherent or doesn't quit because you could tell they were physically superior to App State. Um, App State was just schematically a little bit more familiar, a little bit more veteran of a team. And Demetrius Taylor, without him, uh, Carolina wins this game pretty handily. So, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, I'm still optimistic because – Process versus results, uh, the process just seems a lot more cohesive than it had in the past. So with that, guys, uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back on the other side, and we are going to just run through what happened in the ACC and around the country. And we are back. Joe Carpenter, what was your favorite thing that happened in week four? Favorite thing that happened, I think, is uh, Notre Dame lost in a primetime game. And even though they're on the road in a very tough contest, I, I am always happy when a highly ranked Notre Dame team loses. All right. We can start there because I was at that game. Oh, and nice. Yeah, the, the Georgia Masters degree and some connections came through pretty solid uh, at the last minute there. So I've... Sold my UNC tickets. Um, I'm a bad UNC fan. Went down to uh, Athens, Georgia, and had a hell of a time. Um, Notre Dame 
overmatched. Georgia just absolutely Ron Rivera the hell out of that game. I know I sent to the Slack channel as I was leaving the stadium uh, that Kirby Smart is Ron Rivera with better talent. And what I mean by that is he really kept Notre Dame in that game. Um, I don't know how much of it uh, y'all watched. And Jacob, I'll uh, start with you. But what did you see from uh, Georgia 23, Notre Dame 17? Yeah, I was at the um, Los Angeles Football Club soccer game in, in L.A., so I didn't watch the game live. I'm watching it right now, and I watched the, the replay of it. Um, I thought it would be close. I think the score wasn't as indicative of, like, what actually happened, but I thought Notre Dame was going to cover. I think the line is about 14. I thought, just because I love Ian Book, I think he's a top five-ish, top ten quarterback in the country, super accurate. He's more – um, mobile than people give him credit for. And I think Notre mm-hmm. Dame is, for the most part, a good team. So uh, as much as I love Georgia, who I think is on par with Alabama and Clemson, I think Notre Dame just in that next tier. So big picture-wise, it's kind of what I expected Georgia to win, but for it to be a, a close-ish game. See, here's my hot take, because I know we've talked about them kind of being the big three. I think Georgia's a clear tier below uh, Alabama and Clemson at this point. And that mostly comes down to the fact that they – are playing like it's 2008 and not really actively trying to score football. They are very much playing a little bit more of a conservative game plan. And on the defensive side, they still don't have a pass rush. And I think uh, Ian Book had over 50 dropbacks, maybe five pressures and no sacks. Uh, that, that's just not going to get it done once you start talking about like playoff level. Um, Joe, I do assume you watched it. I did, and it was – Exactly correct. It was closer than a lot of people, I think, expected. Uh, I really thought Georgia would come out. That atmosphere was, uh, frankly, incredible for the, the the pregame and the college field was just unbelievable for, you know, an evening college football game. Uh, I was very, very impressed with the atmosphere in Athens, um, and I, I do give Notre Dame credit as much as it pains me uh, that they could keep it close. But again, you know, in the end, I think talent wins there. It's it's another victory for the SEC, and, and that one's really going to hurt because I don't know that Notre Dame has the schedule to be able to make up, you know, with a one loss going into the possibility of a playoff. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Notre Dame is that people are going to look at that as a win and almost as a tiebreaker if there are a bunch of 11-1 teams uh, looking for that four seed. I, th- I think that's going to play very well for Notre Dame because – when you go to the other big game from the day, uh, Michigan-Wisconsin, Notre Dame's next best uh, opponent is Michigan, and I don't, and that is damning with faint praise because Michigan is very, very bad at football. No offense. It, Michigan cannot move the ball at all. They they can't score against anybody. No, they, they couldn't score against air right now, and it's a little disappointing to see uh, Josh Gaddis, who is a bright young mind, um, kind of be sucked into the Jim Har- Har- Harbaugh uh, hive mind and being a little bit more conservative than uh, what they really should be or what their talent should dictate. Uh, Jacob, your, your thought there? Well, uh, yeah, as far as the, the Michigan thing, I'm, I like Jay Patterson. He, he, I thought the Josh Gaddis offense was going to be a better fit for him because it's not – the, the Alabama offense that we saw last year, it's more like the, the Penn State offense and now the Mississippi State offense because that's where he was at as Penn State under Joe Moorhead. Um, and uh, I don't know, as a Stanford fan growing up, as a 49ers fan, I've been watched Jim Harbaugh for most of my football viewing life. And 
I'm honestly just confused. He can't. He's been innovative throughout his career, and he, uh, to reference 2008 football, like your like Georgia is. I don't know why I can't figure it out, and I I don't think it's Shea Patterson's fault. But at the same time, I think I'd like to see Dylan McCaffrey, uh, Christian's younger brother, as the backup quarterback in Michigan. I am usually not one to bench the starter, but I think that might be the move for Michigan at this point because that Wisconsin loss they had nothing going on, and I don't know how many adjustments you can make midseason to to fix that other than a change in personnel. And Dylan McCaffrey was a baller in high school in in Colorado, where where the McCaffreys are from, because their brother or their dad Ed played for the Broncos, so they grew up there. Ten to twelve wins when they're going to win the West, but. Extremely competent on both sides of the ball. Um, Jack Cohn is a huge step up from what they've had at quarterback in the past. And I'm about to set up this segue real quick because Jack Cohn's former uh, competition, Alex Hornibrook, uh, got the got to play for Florida State. And let's uh, dive into the ACC here. Uh, Seminoles 35, Louisville 24 in a game that I know Jake and I said was a must win for uh, Willie Taggart. Uh, Jacob, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, um, my takeaway from that is it's going to take longer than than maybe I even thought for Scott Satterfield to fix the problems at Louisville. And we saw – I don't know what the attendance was at the Florida State game, but it looked like maybe half full. So as a non-Florida State fan, I'm, I'm glad they got the win because that's a program I for the ACC just for national. I like seeing good even if I'm not cheering for them. And seeing the stadium like half full like that is – I don't know. I remember a few years ago when the Lamar Jackson was there and he ended up whipping Florida State like 55 to 10 or something like that. But And it's sad to see just a few years later what the Louisville-Florida State game has become. And I'm trying to pull up Florida State's upcoming schedule because I think right now we're trying to get the math, just like North Carolina, trying to do math on six, see if they can get to full eligibility. But must great win for Florida State. Um, I think Blackman's better than Hornybrook, but same thing. They needed a, some sort of a switch and – um, that's my answer. There you go, Joe. Anything on this? Um, I'm, I'm going to disagree with Jacob's contention that uh, Louisville has further to go under Satterfield. Um, I, I've, I've, I've actually been pretty impressed with what he's been able to do. Uh, keeping it close against Notre Dame and Florida State is something that Bobby Petrino was not able to do last year. Yeah, although there's some history with Petrino of success, at least, that, that brings him in. And, you know, I, I, I think Florida State's been down some. The thing that shocks me uh, about the Seminoles this year is how many yards they're allowing on defense. I, I think it's over 450 yards a game that they're allowing on defense for a team that has really, you know, had some flashy offensive players, but over the last few years has won with, with just outstanding defensive athletes and talent. And they just don't have that this year. And that's, and and really didn't didn't have it last year, but I mean that's the part of that program that's almost like the namesake of of the Seminoles that needs to get turned around. Yeah, I I don't really know what's happened to their defense either. Um, I know Jacob and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, where you know 
there were systemic issues that Taggart didn't really clean up. He said, yeah, all these guys are great guys. You know, I, I think of them all as my sons. Um, and then about 10 or 15 players do end up getting booed from the program. I, I think he, he was probably a little bit slower to address systemic issues than we uh, thought. Speaking of games involving, involving teams from Florida, though, did anybody get a chance to watch the Pitt-UCF game? Because this is fascinating to me. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to bring up is Pitt is the strangest team in college football year in, year out. And I don't – I just saw the highlights. I haven't watched the condensed game of the whole film yet. Um, but my question I want answered maybe by one of you two is, is Pitt good? Was UCF maybe just – I think it's the first time in a while they played two, especially in this run they've had of wins, they played two power five programs back-to-back. Was it that or was it just UCF – off their game. I'm going to go with the latter, uh, Joe. Yeah, I agree. And let me say that as, as heartbroken as I was by the end of the Carolina game, I was maybe more heartbroken by this game. I tell you, I, I have grown into a closet UCF fan just because I, I think that they have, have really demonstrated some of the things that are wrong with college football and with the playoff system. And, and I agree that you want to try to have the best, best teams that make the playoffs every year. But at some point, the record has to matter because if it doesn't, if, if undefeated teams don't get into the playoff, then every game doesn't matter, which is the college football mantra, that every game matters. And that really frustrates me that a team like that it doesn't get an opportunity and, you know, they sort of inch up every year a little bit higher in the preseason rankings, which then, of course, translates into moving up a little higher in the regular season. This was a tough one and was a game that, that frankly, they should have won, and they end up going down on essentially on a trick play. Uh, but this was one that, that, that really hurt me as, as kind of a fan of the underdog. I think that's a really good point, man. Um because you look at it from a standpoint of, you know, if you listen to some national college football podcasts, they'll talk about how annoying UCF fans are on Twitter. But when a team goes basically 34-1 and one over the course of three seasons, they have the right to feel slighted. And, you know, on one hand, it's kind of a relief that we don't have to go through that song and dance this year. But on the other, it's a shame that we even had to do that in the first place. And I think – you know, it's kind of like the old Houston thing where they beat Florida in the Sugar Bowl or in the um, Peach Bowl in Tom Herman's first year. Then they come back out and beat Oklahoma um, the opening game next year. I think if they had won out, that's the way you do it is you win a you win a uh, Big Six Bowl one year and then you come out, beat another great opponent like uh, they did with Houston or with Oklahoma and work your way into the top four. But that is just a lot of things that have to go way too right. So, it, you know, I, I think you're right that it is absolutely a shame that it is that way. But, you know, credit to UCF for making it interesting and giving us something to talk about as long as they have. Yeah, I yeah, totally and, agree. Uh, Again, I think they've been fun to watch and, and a great story in college football over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I don't think they're done yet. Uh, UNC opens at UCF next year. I'm not looking forward to that at all. Uh, Jacob, what were you, what were you about to say there? Well, I was going to say I'm not a huge UCF guy, but their quarterback Dylan Gabriel, another Hawaii kid, went to the same high school as last year's star Mackenzie Belton, uh, broke Tua's like I said, the all-time passing record in Hawaii. And Tua Tagovailoa went there. Marcus Mariota went there. 
So they've one thing I think they that's allowed them to be so good for so long is they've de- like um, developed and recruited quarterbacks really well and maybe like unheralded, underrated guys they brought in and uh, saw something that a lot of other programs didn't. So I think that's the most impressive part of UCF's little run they've been on so far. I would agree, and that that's a guy who uh, replaced Brandon Wimbush, the old Notre Dame starter, and then you assume Mackenzie Milton's going to be back next year if he doesn't grad transfer, which, I mean, he's such a big part of that program's identity that I don't think he'll do that. Um, as far as the rest of the ACC goes, we don't really need to harp on Clemson 52-10. to 10. Uh, They basically got a bye week. Trevor Lawrence was out in the second quarter. Um, what happened in the Virginia Old Dominion game? Uh, Joe, you're you're a local to that area. Uh, it was 17-7 Old Dominion at half before Virginia got their feet under them. Yeah, and the Old Dominion program's not really good right now, but you know, you got to remember, they now have a history of playing the ACC schools, and so they're just not intimidated. And frankly, Charlottesville is not the most intimidating atmosphere from a college football perspective to come in as a visiting team not a long drive to get from Norfolk to Charlottesville and so the team's going to be fresh when they get there but that's a team that of course played Carolina a couple years ago has played Tech to I think two years in a row now Uh, and then with the game at Virginia I think Virginia's a little overrated I I don't think that they're um, certainly not going to make it through the season undefeated I'm not sure that they're the best best team in the division I, I think that they um, certainly have some issues, and, and they really got hit early. You know, they dominated that game in the second half, uh, but but through the first, certainly the first quarter and maybe the first part of the second quarter, they were really knocked back on their heels. ODU came out just without any fear and uh, really gave them a game there. Yeah, um, I'm just going to stick with you then. Who is the best team in the ACC Coastal right now? <laughs> Boy, that. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, I I think that most likely uh, Miami still has the most talent of of anybody in the coastal, and I know that um, uh, clearly the heels got the better of them. I think that that was a a fortunate opportunity for them to have uh, the early game against Miami because I do think that Miami is a team that could get better. I was actually a little low on them uh, through the first part of the year. Um, and I, I think that they could be there. You know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Virginia doesn't have the easiest of schedules. Uh, Pitt uh, can always be a difficult team. You know, you see him sneak in there uh, last year. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to me. So I, I think that it's that the really the, that division is going to be open. Uh, frankly, you know, let's keep in mind uh, four games. Hills are two and two, one and zero oh in in the in the conference because the Wake Forest game doesn't count as a conference game. So I think technically they're tied for first or maybe maybe second half a game out right now. So it's not as though, crazy as it seems, Carolina still has a chance to win the division. Yeah, and I I think I would go with Virginia just because this is an oversimplified version of it, but I think they have the best quarterback in the division with Bryce Perkins, and they have the best defensive player in Bryce Hall, who's the best cornerback in the entire country. So – I think it's going to be close. I think Miami has a shot. Carolina has a shot. Uh, Pitt, the defending champions, have a shot. But I think because Bryce Perkins and uh, Bryce Hall, the, the. Well, 
leave it to us to record uh, late at night and run out of uh, time in a recording as uh, we are wont to do on occasion. Um, this time we tried to reconnect and it just did not work out so well. So uh, this is going to be your outro. Uh, Jacob does not know quite what he has coming to the site just yet this week. Uh, for Joe, his uh, Tar Heel hangover hits every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Um, another good read on where the heels stand sitting at 2-2 two and two here uh, early in the season. We will be back with a Clemson preview later in the week. Obviously a big game going down in Chapel Hill, so we hope to see you all there. In the meantime, go ahead, like I said. Technical difficulties aside, leave us a five-star review. I will read it on the air. It helps us uh, just to find more people who want to listen to our kind of programming, uh, whatever our brand may be, including one with technical difficulties. That's better than a lot of things that are out there. So, again, thank you all for listening. We will be back later this week. Keep it locked and go Heels.